Hey everybody, John Murphy here. Welcome to On the Homefront. We're very glad to have you with us today. You might be enjoying us live here on WILI AM 1400 or 95.3 on the good old FM. We're also on YouTube 24-7 on any device, including your phone. If you go to the WILI radio channel on YouTube, each of our programs has a playlist. You can get our programs at any time. And this way we have our guests come on. They share information live on the radio to have fun. But then you can get the information from them anytime. And we're trying to really help people connect more and more often. Our show today will be in two parts. For the second half, we're going to take a look at the Swift Waters Artisans Cooperative, a wonderful organization a few blocks away from us in downtown Willimantic that combines cooperative economics with local arts right here in downtown. They've been here for 20 years, and uh, we're going to talk about that with Pat Miller and Robin Ritz a little bit later in the show. But right now, we're going to continue our series looking at health care in Connecticut and how it's been restructured in recent years. And we're going to focus again today on the closing of the maternity unit uh, several years ago at Wyndham Hospital and the impacts of that decision and a recent decision by the Office of Healthcare Strategy about how to move forward with this debate and possibly creating a birthing center. And that's become very controversial, but that's part of the process underway. We've been covering it now for about two years, and I'm very happy to have two people here to continue the information sharing with you. So to my far right, I'm very happy to have back on the program today Rose Reyes. She's a member of the Wyndham Town Council in her third term with the Working Families Party. Rose, thank you for coming back to the studio again. Thank you so much for having me. You Appreciate bet. it. And also with a return visit is Jose Salas Blanco from the Neighbor Fund. He was a founding member back in 2017, and they serve many people in the immigrant community coming here from all over the world trying to make a new life in our region. This organization helps them find their way. So, Jose, thanks for having you as well. Uh, thank you for um, having me back and for um, opening up the space on your program for the um, Wyndham United to Save Our Healthcare Coalition. That's right. We've had them on several times. Many people have been on uh, from from different partners. We'll continue that. But right now, I guess maybe one thing, Rose, uh, you might do to start is talk about the initial reaction on what the OHS did and how that gives you maybe a strategy for the next steps. Sure. Um, the first thing we, w we want to uh, have clear is that this agreed settlement is, uh, is a good faith effort on um, the Office of Health Strategy that uh, in spite of what Harvard Healthcare Corporation thinks, that the uh, particular uh, components or benchmarks that were not met were going to be met in conjunction with additional work in this agreement, including the the search for a third party, uh, independent third party uh, birthing center agency, uh, but they're looking for um, addressing the particular benchmarks that were not met. And they were, out of the 12 benchmarks, um, five were applicable to them. Uh, eight were, rather, eight were applicable, but they didn't meet five of them. And that's part of the agreed settlement. So the the reality is that things haven't been addressed, things haven't been resolved, and things are still closed while they get to do uh, this search and rebuilding of uh, a an alternative service for this area, this small city and its region. Well, you know, there's a really complicated history here yeah. and trying to have it in a few minutes on the radio. We're trying to give people time to not rush. But from what I read from some material that Susan Johnson shared and some other people on the web, uh, the hospital was allowed to wait about closing or not. And the idea of a birthing center as an alternative is being offered and they're going to say, we'll see if this is possible and if it meets the need, and then we'll decide. Exactly. Okay, so we're still in between these options. Exactly. Right? In other words, we still don't have a viable uh, labor and delivery unit. And right. our, our, our delivering individuals will be either uh, transported or they will self-transport to the to local, uh, local closest, which is at least 30 minutes away, given that it's only one route available to get to. Uh, back is Norwich and Manchester. Manchester Hospital. That's right. Jose, your thoughts? Um, um, I think um, the the issues that as a coalition we have raised either as um, um, 
individuals advocating for equitable access and uh, to health care or as nonprofits to local nonprofits here in town um, those issues remain um, whether it's language barriers or um, people in our community already facing um, the barrier of having transportation um, right, yeah. available to them, even though there are things in place, uh, programs in place to kind of help, uh, it's it's not really um, it's not really the the best uh, option for the people in our community. So when you talk, I know you had a recent meeting of the coalition. As a team, so to speak, do you have any sense of certain people focusing on certain aspects of what's happening? Kind of, because it's a huge thing to break into manageable pieces, right? Like anything, you got to break the mountain into pieces. Do you have a have a sense of how your team is attacking this and trying to move forward at least with information collection to help people have a better understanding? This is a big vacuum right now, still. For sure. Our strategy has been to first approach uh, Office of Health Strategies and have very uh, very direct questioning about their rationale for in, in, uh, making this kind of negotiated, agreed settlement mm -hmm. and negotiating um, the, the, the possibility, well, the reality of closing down, shuttering a, a delivery unit, given a good faith effort of meeting the, these benchmarks, which is very problematic for me. I mean, if they didn't meet them, they didn't meet them. They should not have been given a second, third chance. Um, and also um, asking Office of Health Strategies um, the way, how are they being true allies to a small city such as ours with the, with our own vulnerabilities, in spite of the fact that uh, there may be less than 200 births per year in the last three or four years, that doesn't negate the fact that we still need full services in the event of um, childbirth risks that are associated with working class families, for example, and also um, people who come from other country parts, you know? so. While we don't have that particular capacity, that, that, that threshold, we still mm -hmm. need, it's like insurance. You want to have a full service, you know, in front of you so that in the event that you do need it, because you're likely to be needing it because of the status of, of things in life, it's, it's good to know that it's there. And the idea that we are expected to, you know, accommodate this idea of being transported. Now, in the agreement, they also added language that said, oh, you know, in the transport, they're allowed, the, the pregnant person can, can have a family member or another um, a, a associate with them or, or friend or family, whatever. Mm -hmm. That being said, it, it still blows your mind that you're going to be in an ambulance for 30 minutes because that's how long it takes. 17 miles is 30 minutes with no traffic. In good weather. In good weather. Thank you, sir. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Right. So, the, you know, I, I'm wondering how is it that they can argue that in, in the rest of the, 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 state, the state? How is it that in Connecticut, one of the richest states in this nation, is allowing this inequity to, to evolve or just, like, take on a fast track to just, just decimate, you know, districts of health needs it's incredible yeah. we know we've had representative johnson here a few times mm -hmm. too and one thing that's really it's hard to follow but it's really important and i've been trying to find the time to dig myself in the papers is that the system is already been restructured in a way that's go so far beyond providing just one kind of service some hospitals in financial trouble may be sold they may be reconfigured assets may be sold off uh, vulture capital is being involved possibly as a way they call it private investment capital but that's a different agenda than serving the public per se so I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is <laughs> with the information gap right now folks have a hard time staying with the argument until they need the care and until mm -hmm. it hits you a lot of people say well I have to see the flames I just don't have to see the smoke right so uh, right now for the hospital 
I know they won awards and they've been very well recognized for in, for some incredible work with knee replacement surgery. Some <laughs> units do very well. And I understand for any business, you can't do everything from A to Z, but you figure in your community, what are the basic human needs that the community has all the time? And you specialize in areas where maybe you can meet special needs, right? So they're doing very well with that kind of surgery, and I've heard good stories about that. But when hospitals decide what not to do anymore, that's the hard part. And when I hear safety mentioned as a reason for closing a unit, can you describe that? Because people wonder what it means to not have a safe unit in the first place. Well, Mr. Salas, can you can you uh, provide uh, some details to that? Because it, bo it boggles my mind. Well, um, an article that... Um, uh, that Rose had has here with her. It does mention that um, these corporations they are mentioning uh, pay, uh, safety, um, but what does that really mean? Is that just an argument they're putting forward um, to justify cutting down a service? Um, what type of studies are they referencing? Um, it's it, to the uh, the average layperson. Um, it might seem it might seem like a good argument but what exactly do they mean <laughs> is it something that they're saying just to save a couple a couple dollars um uh, by you know cutting down a service and then too with transportation um if you're going to be transferred via ambulance or lifestar helicopter to another hospital Who's really absorbing those costs? You, as a patient, as a consumer, right? Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it impacts our pockets lucky, too, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. The helicopter rides are quite pricey, from what mm. I hear. Yeah. Uh, so there was a professor <clears throat> of public health policy at the University of Minnesota who was interviewed by the Connecticut Mirror in 2021, and and she pretty much said that she didn't understand the relationship between patient safety and birth val uh, birth volume. She she didn't see the correlation, which is the argument, one of the first front argument that HHC. Hartford Healthcare Corporation right. is arguing for, um, and and here's her quote: "The work that we've done looking at relationship between birth volume and quality of care in rural hospitals has shown a mixed bag. There are a lot of ways in which low risk childbirth is very well done in low birth volume settings. So it it doesn't it doesn't warrant this argument, but it's the new word that um, corporations, healthcare corporations, are using to scare you into thinking that you can." We should let them do this plan, which is shrinking of services. Yeah, this has come up in some of the press coverage since the OHS decision. And I know the idea of defining safety, you know, in all good faith, the companies that own these businesses, they have to define safety so we understand. If you have a concern, help us understand what that means. If it's how many people per bed, how many doctors per patient, you know, what's your formulas? And the more they explain, the more people will at least have a better understanding. Because right now, it seems to me it's still just not enough to be clear on. And that makes it harder to move ahead. The other question is, the process that has been set up to explore this option of a birthing center, when they set that up, did they give them a, a timetable to get the job done? Because people have been waiting for years. With all good intention, some idea, well, let's get this done by blank. I did not... I did not catch that. Did you, Jose? I mean, I was looking at the at the actually agree uh, settlement. Uh, I want to contract. mention the Connecticut Mirror is an online news mm -hmm. source that's really good. They've been covering this, yeah, and they've been also covering tenant unions, which is another show we're doing. So they they'll have, have a lot of. Is it thirty days they need to report out? Um, it it yeah. says here um, in the uh, settlement, it's uh, one of the points. It says commencing on. One year from the date of this agreed settlement, Wyndham will report to OHS annually for three years of the following. Oh, yeah. The number of birthing people from uh, WWHC mm -hmm. who deliver it each year, the hospitals at which these individuals deliver, the method of transportation to slash from the hospital for these individuals and their support persons, patients, socio socio-demographic information, including language, ethnicity, race, and age, and payer mix. Um, so we as a coalition to believe that this information should already be had. Uh, one of those main reasons is the last birth, I believe, um, that occurred here in Wyndham was in 
June of 2020. Oh. It's been three years since then. So one would imagine that this information should already be at the um, mm -hmm. disposal of uh, of this corporation, right, of this health, cor health corporation. Um, so that also leaves us wondering um, why wasn't this information received beforehand, before the settlement? Mm -hmm. Well, let me take a break right now. In case you've just joined us, we're talking about health care in Eastern Connecticut with Rose Reyes and Jose Salas Blanco. We'll take a short break for a couple of messages, and we'll come right back. Please stay with us. No, I didn't find I, I didn't find a date like when they do when they do that research for the uh, independent third party. Mm -hmm. Wyndham here agrees to hire an independent third party mutually agreeable to everyone, uh, mutually agreed upon, uh, freestanding birth center as permitted. Uh, I'm looking for date and I don't find mm -hmm. one date. I'm assuming that they're OHS. I, I I thought they were our ally because of the n nature of the beast, the nature of, the, of like the Office of Consumer Counsel, something of consumer protection. Right? Thanks very much. Right, I get that. Uh, so I'm 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 confused. Like you're helping them close it. <laughs> well, right. This right. is my biggest argument. Helping them close it to say, well, if you're going to do this, here's what we have to look at first. And I guess they're saying if this doesn't work, they have to go back, right? I, I don't know they, what they're saying. I think they imply that this it, birthing center it, doesn't implication, work. The implication does not mean commitment, yeah. right? That's my problem here. Because well, that if, might be our starting point. When we well, because back. if our OHS was really on the ball and yeah. they saw this in the first place in July when they yeah. did the public hearing or the application, because they stopped services and then three months later they submitted the CON. And right. OHS right. has said, you haven't fact. been doing services for us, yeah. and what are you replacing yeah. it with? We're not letting you off the hook. Was but there a fine drop, by the way? Um, just held an escrow? I don't know. Um, they were fined. They yes, were fined, they were. Yes, but they were yeah. able. The hospital was fine. I don't remember the exact details, but oh, they were able to um, yeah. to whittle down the, yeah, <laughs> the total. I don't go there either. This is incredible. Yeah. So we'll pick up here after the break with uh, the timeline. And then at some point later, I want to ask about the neighbor fund a little bit, because that's part of why you're here. Uh, Rose, does the town council ever talk about this issue? Or it, ha it has. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are we on road? No, no, no. no. We're just yes, I brought it up at the last town council. Okay. It's, in, it's in our records, and I'm sure we're going to have to address okay. it in a form of resolution and also to, to keep an eye on, on participating in... Uh, public speaking about it. Um, so uh, I could ask about mm -hmm. that. Okay, that's it was brought great. up, and I, I yeah. put the uh, agreed settlement. Yeah. And the response, the coalition's response, in the records. Oh, very good. And then we'll also ask you guys again uh, before we go with websites, Facebook, whatever you need for people to stay in touch. And then in January after the holidays, we'll mm. see what the next time is for another either another coalition member who hasn't been here before. Or, you know, we could do a whole show about the neighbor fund, because I do Iris. Mm -hmm. Do you ever talk to Iris? Um, what they do? Do you guys I ever know, overlap? I know mm -hmm. one of their, um, one of their, one of the people that works for them. Yeah, because they've been on a couple of times now. They do nice work, and I think of immigration or people coming and, you know, how they overlap areas. Mm -hmm. But we'll do something later, when, you know, if you want. If you have a special event in the year, you may have something for your fund programming it might be a good calendar thing you have to let me know okay H how are we doing for time buddy minute and a half oh minute and a half well wow. another swig of this wonderful mineral water here mm. Mm. no mezcal until later <laughs> indeed uh, this is incredible the language here item number 17 this is really irks this really irks me here. I'm save it, save it. <laughs> Item 17, well, is this for the show or just to share now? And yeah, just for you to know. If, if the ITP, the independent third party, determines that a birth center is both needed and feasible as defined by the statement of work, right, which I is thought. another condition, right? right? In the Wyndham area, Wyndham agrees to assist in identifying a provider to establish such a facility in or around the town of Wyndham. Wow. In, around, in or around the wow. town of Wyndham. Not even here. Not right. even here. In or right? around. Right. Within 90 days of reviewing the report. But there is no startup date, no startup yeah. of search. 
So the guess is, if I'm hearing you sensitively, listening on like a year. At minimum. Okay. At minimum. Okay, I'm hearing. Okay. And the, the redundancy of having to keep track of three years' worth of data that they already should have had to mm -hmm. argue for the yeah. CON. They had a long time to collect old data. Mm -hmm. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. It's those little things. Three, two, one. Hey, we're back live on the home front today. You know, this is a community radio show here on WILI as part of our 5 o'clock block Monday through Friday. And our focus is always on the arts throughout the year. But we're adding more and more community aspects of living because many parts of our community are under stress right now. We're talking about health care today. We're going to have people on again soon from the tenants unions, which are forming around the state. So we're trying to include the arts as well as aspects of our living. That's why our shows are on YouTube. We can always share links and have people at organizations share their stories more widely. And if you want to get involved, just use this email. It's john at humanartsmedia.com. And I can certainly share your announcements here or on WECS radio. You can come in the studio if you need some time to share your story. We're available all throughout the year, so use that email. And right now, I'm going to come back to our conversation again with Rose Reyes from the, uh, from the Wyndham Town Council and also Jose Salas Blanco from the Neighbor Fund. Uh, where we left off before, Rose, was the idea of uh, some deadline or some pressure right. to resolve this limbo within a short time frame, right? Right, right. Yeah, so right. so in my, my layperson's uh, purview, I, it could be found someplace else. I'd be pre very grateful. Uh, we see it at, at a point here, uh, maybe on page four of the eight-page document regarding the agreed settlement we don't have a startup date for the research of the independent third party um, and then we do have however um, like three months after the department of public health publishes its birth center policies they can now decide if the, that independent third party determines that we need and it is it's feasible as defined by the statement of work which is that plan that hasn't a startup date Right. To create a birthing center in or around our town, not even where we would recognize having a maternity ward, like in the hospitals per se, right? And uh, they have uh, within 90 days of reviewing the report with OHS. And, and then they have to do the surveys and contact providers and so on and so forth. So we're talking about another additional delay of at least another year. And, and I, I wanted see. to point out the redundancy of having three years' worth of monitoring when, when we argued that that should have been data that was supposed to be made available at the first certificate of, of needs hearing. Because mm -hmm. it's all data. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, how do you justify closing something be, besides your bottom line? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is my, my concern. And, and I really wish that the OHS, you know, it becomes the ally of this region. Right. Well, we're going to invite them to come on. We've been waiting a while for them to finish the next step in their own process to invite them to come in just to really explain and help people understand their strategy and what their hopes are for a successful outcome of whatever they're trying to do. But, you know, the other thing I want to ask Jose about that we haven't focused on specifically is how is the healthcare system changes affecting people coming here from abroad? This is the work you do at the Neighbor Fund. But when you think about health care, how is it affecting the people you work with? There, are there any things that are different for them that are maybe more challenging than somebody who grew up and lives in the area? Yes. Well, um, we do interact uh, with community members that are refugees or um, come from mixed status households. What mixed right. status households means um, either uh, uh, the one of the spouses or um, is a citizen and the other one is undocumented um, or the children might be citizens but the parents are undocumented right. um, we did see people community members that were impacted by um, the, sh the preemptive shuttering of this service before um, the state put out its decision um, however these, with these people, rightfully so, they're very hesitant to speak up and share their personal experience, yeah. um, which is, um, uh, you know, which is uh, very unfortunate because they're part of our community. 
um, they're being impacted by these decisions being made by corporations um, in trying to maximize profit, their profit margins. Um, and one of the issues that we saw as a nonprofit was uh, with either refugees or mixed status households is at least here in the community, there's a network available to them to help them um, kind of work their way through through um, uh, through these issues. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, as nonprofits are we can only extend ourselves so much and it's a bit more challenging if we have to travel to another town where um, a person might be giving birth or um, they might be getting a procedure that is no longer available here at Wyndham right. due to the right. continuous cutback of services. Um, so that's very challenging for them. Also, um, an issue we see is, um, for example, after um, a person gives birth, um, you need a car seat, right, to transport the newborn Absolutely. from the hospital to to their uh, to their home, and sometimes there's people um, they don't really have to be uh, refugees or mixed status households. Um, it could just be a person from the community that's not impacted by that um, who does have uh, some financial. Um, struggles and affording a car seat um, might be a challenge to them especially if that's their first newborn oh yeah and those are expensive because they have to be made for safety so they're not cheap mm -hmm. that's right absolutely yeah and a hospital won't allow um, a, a parent to take their child until there's a a uh, car seat which is understandable but again it's putting more pressure and more stress um, and financial stress on on these uh, working families in our community. Let, let, let's be clear. It, we're, we're, we're not a rich city, right? And, and we're we the need, poorest part of the state. Right. Sixty gotcha. percent of, of our population who we have self-selected to, to identify uh, through the Census Bureau make less than $50,000 a year. And, and that being said, it disimpacts everyone across across races right now yeah. but especially people of color i mean in 20 according to Bren, brenda's piece here she got from uh, susan johnson's website there was a, a between 2015 and 2017 people of color made up almost 45 percent of those giving birth and 63 almost 64 percent of all the pregnancy related deaths yeah it's not these are not good points and then they call that disproportionate right yes yeah. yes right and 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 for hhc hartford health healthcare corporation to argue that um closing this particular facility here it runs against a common sense approach about taking care of our people yeah well that's part of the journalism that still needs to be done is to give people a chance to explain the huge structural decisions that were made off the microphones with people that don't get a chance to change the language around and that's part of the unanswered questions that you have now indeed but one thing i want to do with jose while we have a few minutes is he works throughout the year with people from other places and he started the neighbor fund he was one of the founders in 2017 and i wondered you know, pre-COVID, okay, which mm -hmm. was huge. How was it like to start this? And how has it been over maybe six or seven years? What changes have you noticed working with these folks coming from other places? So I, I don't know if I would call myself a founder, but I was there um, One of the early when members. it started. Yes, okay. one of go. the early members. Um, we, our focus is, um, you know, there's um, that, um are are um that you know if people where they're at it's unsustainable um their life there um it's a human right to migrate how that looks like um yeah. that's what causes a lot of debate but um how can you ask a parent who can't provide for their child um in their native country due to um, policies um, that were put in place or that were 
kind of coerced. They were coerced into by other countries. Um, there's the issue of colonialism and how that still uh, has it, an impact um, even today in uh, Latin America, Especially about Central where the money America. Goes. That's the whole thing. Where does the money go? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> if I may, John, you might want to give context. 2017 was a really hard year. It was first year of my campaign, but mostly it was a hard year because of the leadership on a national level, and and the fight with ICE and and the deportation uh, yeah. issues and stuff. And I want to say proudly that this this city, this small city, established a sanctuary city status in 2017, and it, it, it ran parallel with the creation of the neighbor neighbor fund. And I can't I can't say enough about how those two things. Um, brought to light the importance of our people in this town. And, you know, I was very proud when uh, Elsa Nunez and Eastern took on the DACA. Mm -hmm. They were one of, I think, two yeah. or three schools in the nation that openly embraced yes. those yeah. students in a different kind of situation. That's All. another example of our area. Yeah. Right, the ability for us yeah. to respond and stand tall for our people. Yeah, that, that, that was a bright moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Jose, how can people connect to you now during the year? Because I went to your website. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, how can people connect to you? And we'll have you back maybe in the winter or spring when you have a special program just on the whole idea of immigration. We'll do something different with you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we do recognize that, right, um, immigrants and refugees, they're part of our history as a town and also they're part of our community, um, active members of our community too, whether it's someone that um, – volunteers in the community through um, their house of worship, if they're religious, or through um, some other nonprofits, right, just trying to better the uh, situations in, in the community. And um, the Neighbor Fund was also uh, started off by other um, pre-existing um, uh, groups, too, um, kind of a coalition of kind of own? a coalition okay. yes um, and uh, the way that the organization was shaped um, was the people impacted by those policies immigrants refugees um, really had uh, helped to shape things and um, if people want to obtain more information about us um, know how to support us they can go onto our website the neighborfund.org or they can find us on Facebook too the neighbor fund. Uh, we also have a, an email address, which is theneighborfund at gmail.com. And um, if anyone needs help with offsetting the cost of trying to, uh, to obtain legal status, if there's a pathway for them, um, we do offer help with that, with trying to offset those costs if it's related with, their, um, with them trying to adjust their immigration status. Well, don't wow. forget to add... Um yeah. The coalition's uh, email address. And then also, um, as members of the Wyndham United Coalition, um, if anyone has questions about how they can get involved, how can they can support um, this uh, work that we're doing, which is uh, trying to obtain more answers from our state officials and um, trying to have or pushing for um, the community to have a voice in a birthing center if that's the way things if that's the way things go right. um, they can go to save when they can send their inquiries to save Wyndham maternity at gmail.com or they can also visit our Facebook page which is Wyndham United to save our healthcare coalition great well those are ways to connect in between uh, one thing before we go, Rose, you were saying that at some point, too, the town council will be talking about some of these issues. I'm Can hoping you share to. Any thoughts, I'm hoping to bring it up uh, for agenda speak um, and possibly establish a, a resolution of a sort and have uh, interested parties uh, partake in the coalition. Um, that's important. It's important for the. The council to understand the implications of losing a, a full, robust service hospital. It, it makes our city not um, attractive to young families or families who who want to uh, uh, establish themselves here, so to speak. You know, our well, median age is less than forty, and and wow. we're living longer, and yeah. people can decide to have children later, and we need to be ready for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would uh, um, just to read. Re iterate um, Rose's point it's like if you're on the market to buy a home right right now it's kind of tough for working people 
but um, if you take on a mortgage loan, um, if that's in within your grasp, um, that's like a 15-year commitment or a 5-10 year commitment. Sure. And um, if you're moving, if you're looking at where you're going to move into, and you notice that there's a community with a hospital, yes, it's 10, 15 minutes from where you live, but you won't find um, the uh, the healthcare services that you need. Um, then you might look elsewhere. So, too, as a town, I believe that's something that our town officials should um, take into consideration and be kind of like Rose Reyes and, you know, get a little <laughs> bit more involved. <laughs> well, I know when I've talked to the economic development people, when they create their materials and their brochures, the availability of health care is a very powerful attractant for mm -hmm. people to relocate especially maybe young people from the other side of the state or whatever. So that's a challenge at every level, you know, apart from the actual health care itself for those families is the system around it. I, I want to add, John, yeah. that, it, you know, the, the maternity closure is maybe one of the straws that is breaking this camel's back. But it's, it's not without notice that um, the the elimination of our services, it just doesn't seem to stop. And once we get this recalibrated or restructured correctly to meet our needs we need to go back and see what else we're missing and get mm -hmm. that put back in like you know our intensive care or whatever is more appropriate for us at the moment but it should be from cradle to grave it's it's our best piece of insurance to assure people if they live here they'll be, they will be taken care of I know my early vision when I was a kid of a hospital is that you had a certain level of core care for mm -hmm. life experiences and you went elsewhere for specialized care, mm -hmm. that you can't do everything in one hospital, but certain levels of everyday life mm -hmm. were combined. Okay. And that's part of what we hope to have the OHS people here and other providers is to help us understand the thinking because if there is a strategy, I think a lot of people don't get it yet. And if there are points to be made, I think they should have a chance to make them. And that's what we're going to do here is try to invite people to come in uh, to explain things because there is misinformation and there is misunderstanding. Well, the, the damning part was there was yeah. like no community involvement with this agreed settlement whatsoever. That's right. Mm -hmm. that's right. I mean, that the public hearing was held in the midst of COVID, 2020, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and then they, right. And they had closed it before that. And, and people were trying to survive. The last thing they thought of was that they were getting ripped off of their services from HHC, you know, and now we have to catch up. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. too, um, how does this decision, um, how does it, uh, how does it further the states and uh, a corporation, a healthcare corporation's goal of trying to make healthcare more affordable uh, equitable and accessible, especially with um, a community or our region, right, where it's um, kind of like a small city, like uh, Rose has said, and also we're kind of like a rural, rural area too um, in yeah. certain parts here in eastern Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, Rose Reyes and Jose Blanco, uh, I'm sorry, Jose Salas Blanco, thank you very much for being here well, today. And for thank you for thank having you. us. This is we'll really look forward important. to having you back later in the wintertime. And we'll keep updates coming with you and others as things happen, okay? Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks very much. Okay, we'll take a short musical break from Mose Allison and then come back and talk about the Swiftwater Artisans uh, uh, Collective. Stay with us. I'm smashed. Looks like I've gone and done it. I'm crashed. I think I step right on it. I'm tempting fate. It's getting late and I'm ripped. You know my mind is spinning. Tripped. The other side is winning. Before you count me out. Let me tell you what it's all about I always thought that I was in control I always thought that I could play my role But since I came to this town My mind is upside down I'm smashed Just like a busted fender I'm crashed Where can a man surrender Take me out, coach I'm through I'll get myself together In a day or two 
always thought that I was in control. Always thought that I could reach my goal. Now I'm staring at my empty cup. Uh, will the real me please stand up? I'm smashed. Hello there, operator. I'm crashed. You'll have to try me later. Uh, just between me and you, I'll feel much better in a Okay, we're back for the last part of our show today as our guest exit. Thank you very much for joining us here on the home front. There's a wonderful organization right down the street from us called the Swiftwater Artisans Cooperative. It's a wonderful way to combine cooperative economics, sharing expenses and profits with people who are trying to make a living with their art. Here's a short conversation with Pat Miller and Robin Ritz. Stay with us. As John said, we got started about 20 years ago. And... Um, as uh, as a pop-up holiday shop up the street here um, that was organized in large part by Jean Dismay. It was kind of an, an experiment to see what kind of interest there was locally in um, having a place for artists and artisans to sell their work. And of course, it's, it is not an easy thing, selling your work. No. Um, so uh, it was wildly popular. People were actually lined out the door to get in to shop. Originally, to get in to say, I want to be part of it, and then to get in to shop. So we evolved from there. We've been in a couple of different spots on Main Street. Mm -hmm. And um, the current one we've been in uh, around 10 years, I think. Um, it was in the Wame building at 866 Main Street. Um, it's uh, between Bank and Walnut for locals and yep. on the opposite side of the street from the uh, post office. Right. So we wanted to use a co-op, a cooperative model. And what that means is that the, the members own the business. So the artists who participate in this pay a membership fee to join, and then we do everything. We're the staff, we certainly show our work, uh, but we have no employees. It's, it's us, we're there doing it. And, kind of um, like a sweat equity thing, right? Indeed, exactly. indeed. And we, we do the cleaning, we do, we do everything. Um, so it's, it, it was, we were helped along the way by the food co-op, which is even older than we are, way sure. older than we are, That's about right. twice as old. Uh, and they introduced us to co-op models and um, how, to, how to do business that way. They were a real inspiration and very helpful to us. Our model is a, a little different from theirs. But we want to make sure that people understand that you don't have to be a member of anything to come shop at the co-op at Swiftwaters. I know you. Just, you know, like even after all these years, you know, people still think that way. That yeah. well, I'm not a member, so I'm not welcome. Or right. I don't, right. That's really important. And also, you know, the, uh, I think this is a good time to bring in Robin because she's been a member a couple of years now, fairly new. Although you've been doing your work, I guess, over 20 years with your art. Uh, what? What was it that made you decide you wanted to join? Because you've been doing your own work for a while. So what was the draw to become a member for you? So I did want to be part of the artist community. And so it was my husband, Jose, that encouraged me to be brave about it. I think a lot of artists have a fear of being seen. Yeah. And um, sure. it's, it's almost overwhelmingly paralyzing. But... I got to a point where there was no more wall space left in my own home. <laughs> it was cheaper than storage. <laughs> and so, but it, yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, you know, certainly his encouragement and just knowing that they had been in operation for so long that they right. were a true entity and something that I knew I'd be proud to be yeah. a part of. And so it was easy once I got up the courage to do it that I wanted to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. 
we know during the year we have many people coming out from different arts councils or guilds, and the members may have a couple of shows a year, and they don't have that many opportunities to show. So a, a, like a co-op is another way to connect your home studio to a marketplace that's there all the time, not just for a weekend, inside, not outside. And you can help pay for it and save money by being part of it. And I guess that's part of the challenge is getting people to realize how simple it is, not how complicated. Right. right? It is simple. Right. Yes. Yep. We pay a membership fee mm -hmm. um, to join. Um, and then we each pay a monthly fee. Uh, and we each work eight hours a month or the equivalent. Um, and that means that we can reduce the amount of commission that, that the shop takes for work because ordinarily at this point um, most galleries or other places that sell artists work charge between 40 and 50 percent ordinarily. Is that pretty for, common these for days? Commission, yes. So, so you have to realize, you know, these places where you go, half of that revenue is going to the place that's hosting the event kind of thing. Maybe it's a fundraiser sometimes, but that's the gallery business. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have expenses and sure. we have expenses. So um, we, we pay rent to Wayne for the space um, and we need to cover all of that sort of thing. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way to have... Uh, to be able to sell your work and to do it with other artists. You know, it becomes a, an artist's community. Um, and we have a wide range of things for, we, we say, we make beautiful things for you, and we really do. <laughs> All kinds of beautiful things from uh, pottery, jewelry, um, uh, wood, wood, wooden things like pull toys and rocking horses for kids. We have books, we have prints, we have a lot of fabric uh, pieces, weaving and knitting, um, and much more than that. So we are really uh, encouraging people to come in and have a look. And, you know, part of why we're doing it now is that it is a holiday season, and we don't want to pander to all the commercial products going out there, but when people are celebrating their culture in some way, keeping your money local in some way is always a good thing. Wherever you go, if you keep it local, it's going to help the whole foundation of the economy. And, you know, one thing I wanted to ask Robin, too, we have a few more minutes, by the way. If you're listening to us on the radio, we're speaking today with Pat Miller and Robin Ritz about the Swiftwater Artisans Co-op. Uh, Tell us about your work in multimedia a little bit in terms of the work you do at, that you have at the gallery. And also, you're a musician. We'll have you back later in the winter. Uh, as Robin is a vocalist in the band Thankful Soul Revival, and they play in the region. We'll have you back sometime great. about that. Thank you. But talk us you know, about how you're trying to connect your art with this great effort. Absolutely. So my artwork is inspired by nature. Uh, it was inspired by a throwaway society, and so it started really, I'm a bit of a pack rat, but beachcombing and realizing there was more spark plugs on the beach than shells some days, right? And so I would gather these found objects and feel an obligation to do something with them and store them and catalog them away. And so I was inspired by Gaudí's work. Antonio Gaudí is a mm -hmm. Spanish artist that did a lot of work with recycles and ceramics and glass. Um, so I started exploring stained glass. I started exploring um, just different ways of combining thrown away objects with natural objects to create an awareness of your litter is impacting our environment and bringing attention to the nature around us and also giving people a way to connect with nature where I find acorns all the time, but how many people walk by and would never acknowledge or recognize it or who lives in a city that couldn't have it in their own right. presence. So giving people artwork that allows them to create a connection with something greater than them in the natural sense and a spiritual sense. Um, and it's, it's almost like a compulsive creativity where I'll find an object, I'll find a shell, and I know it is a butterfly wing or right. I'll find, you know, so it's, it's an intuitive process too for me that allows me to honor, uh, honor creativity in a way that's really just to create connections for others to feel 
they're going to interpret it on their own, but I think it is important as an artist to at least highlight something that's important to me, which is our connection with nature and the environment and its well-being and balance. So uh, when your idea takes a form, does it end up sometimes as a wall hanging? Yeah. Is it an object that sits somewhere that people can have as an object? What forms do you use? Yes, 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 and yes, yes. Yeah, you can come down to the gallery and see. It's pretty eclectic. Uh -huh. So there's there's window pieces, there's wall hangings. I've got a series of greeting cards and cards, um, okay. witch bells, uh, door hangers meditation boxes, discovery boxes. It's a, there's a lot of different ways that I'm repurposing old boxes or crates or papers. And, um, and so it is very broad spectrum as far as what, what I'm coming up with. Right. Um, but a lot of it is just commonly discarded items like jars or boxes or things that people really take for granted that were throwing it away mm -hmm. into an environment that then has to live with it, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's a wonderful work that she does. It's, oh, yeah. it's very creative and uh, appealing. Thank yes. you. Thank you. So I want to mention a website. If you want to find out more about Swift Waters, how to join and maybe participate, or just go and check it out, all the information's there. Swiftwaters.org. So it's a real simple one, swiftwaters.org. Now, when someone like Robin joins, because when you go to the store, every nook and cranny has stuff. It's amazing. Everywhere you go, different levels, you walk around. How do you divvy it up? in terms of how much space. Some people need vertical mm -hmm. space, right? Some yeah. people need like a nice tabletop. So how do you do that? Well, we try to give everybody an equivalent amount of space. And some people, some people's work requires a bit more. Um, um, but we do have a variety of things to use. Uh, uh -huh. Shelves, cases, um, tables, walls floors. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we use every bit. Hanging from the ceiling in some cases. Hanging from the ceiling, yes. Robin hangs from indeed, the ceiling indeed. sometimes. <laughs> okay, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Said, Swift started. Waters is a great resource for our community. If you know, if you're an artist, it's a place for you to begin to show your work, something out of your house to meet other people. The website to learn more and to to connect is simple swiftwaters.org swiftwaters.org. So thanks to Robin and Pat for that conversation. And thanks to you for joining us here on the home front each week here on WILI. If you want to get involved, the door and the studio is always open to you. Use the email john at humanartsmedia.com to connect and we'll have you here as soon as you want. We'll see you next week. Take care. Happy holidays, however you celebrate them. Keep the faith. <laughs>